I had kind of finished some previous work that I was doing um, and was thinking about what the next thing was at the same time as um, you know the news was really grim about the global migration crisis and you know I like a lot of people was reading about what was happening in Syria what was happening in various places in Africa and you know really feeling um, like it was just awful and criminal and and that if there was any way that I, there was something that I knew how to do that could make it easier for people then um, that was something that I wanted to do and that felt like work that was worth doing. Rona works for HISBA, a program that provides legal, resettlement, citizenship, and supportive services to refugees. She got into it as she was searching for any way to help address the inhumane treatment of immigrants and refugees all over the world. And I think because of all the changes in the, in the refugee program, some of my previous skills and experiences made sense to the agency as well, so I think it was just good timing. In fact, Rona's history is full of helping other people, whether through working with the Fulbright Scholars or programming for charter schools. I worked, I was the um, founding director of the fellowships office at Drexel, which was created to help ambitious college students and graduate students apply for and hopefully get competitive awards like Fulbrights and Trumans and NSF grants and Goldwaters and things like that. Um, obviously, you know, um, at Independence Charter School and with the board there and creating the new school in Southwest Philly, I think my strength was the ability to think and probably continue continues to be like both kind of compassionately and personally, but also structurally and systemically. Despite her past work, Rona didn't expect to end up here. Still, she feels connected to it purely because she, as everyone, has immigration stories at the foundation of her family. You know, my like a lot of people, um, like most people in America, um, apart from African American and Native Americans, you know, we have a strong immigration story that's kind of um, part of the family lore about you know, how my grandparents and great-grandparents came to the country and how they fled and, you know, fleeing under cover of darkness and taking the few belongings and coming to America. Um, and as I started to, like, read about some of the things that were happening now, the stories are so similar. Um, and you know, the, those family stories were always really resonant for me, um, but I thought that they were like ancient history. You know, I thought that those were things that happened 100 years ago and weren't happening now, but in fact they are happening to real people right now who are very similar to you and I, and, um, and I felt an obligation. I felt a strong connection between my family's history and the experiences that people are having, and. I really felt a, an obligation to try to make that experience smoother for people. Those immigration stories are common, but Rona has a closer connection than even she realized at first. Her great uncle, along with many other Jews at the time, was resettled by Hyas years ago. Which I didn't know about, um, but when I took the job, my mother said like, oh, Hyas, your great uncle Abe was settled by Hyas. <laughs> Um, and I've heard some statistics, and I don't know exactly what, I should find out what the number is, but apparently something like half of all American Jews were assisted by Hyas at one point or another. Um, so 
they really were the kind of receiving agency that helped Jews who were escaping grounds in the former Soviet republics and the Pale of Settlement, Poland, Eastern Europe, um, and coming to America has helped many, many, many people. That connection is so concrete that it's a constant reminder of the opportunity that HIAS and other resettlement programs offer and why they're so important. We have a family photograph, which um, is my, my grandmother as a baby in the picture, and it was taken in Belarus. Um, so somewhere probably around 1910 or something. Um, and half the photograph came to the United States and half stayed. And the half that stayed didn't survive. And the half that came to the US really has flourished and done well. Um, and I have that picture in my office because I think it helps to remind me of what it means for people to have that opportunity to rebuild a life. And remembering that is especially crucial now as our political environment changes so drastically. It is obviously hard work to be in the thick of it, especially this year because it's such a it's been such an emotional roller coaster and such a policy roller coaster as well. Um, you know, the rules keep changing. It feels like every two weeks we've got a new set of rules, a new court decision, a new executive order, a new policy um, directive that comes from the White House or that comes from um, Homeland Security or State Department. Um, so that part, that has been extremely difficult. The uncertainty and the constant changing nature has been really, really hard. Even though we're under difficult and uncertain times, Rona finds comfort in her job because it gives her a way to actually make a difference and fight for what she believes in instead of standing by the sidelines. In a certain way, the work I'm doing makes it easier um, for me, you know, personally and emotionally because I go to work every day and I'm actually, I actually am helping people and we're creating programs and we're connecting volunteers to refugees and we are putting things in place that are really helping people and so the harder part to me is when I leave work and I come home and I read the paper um, and I get furious all over again um, and part of why I took the job was to not feel helpless in the face of the kind of inhumanity and cruelty of our of these policies um, you know, globally, there's like 65 million displaced people, which is just an inconceivable number of people who have been forced to flee their homes because of violence and don't have anywhere to be. Um, and prior to all the changes in U.S. policy, only 3% of people were getting third country resettlement. We're getting um, resettlement in somewhere that has a formal refugee program like the U.S., Canada, Sweden, Australia. Um, now that number with the changes in our policy is probably down to like one and a half percent of people. So, you know, the need is just staggering. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's easier when I'm at work. That frustration appears not only on Rona's side, but for the refugees. Their struggle is present in both their home countries and America, as you can see through this one Congolese family. There's, um, a Congolese family that arrived last year, um, and it's a young married couple with two young kids. Um, 
Yeah, they are, he works at a meatpacking plant um, and the meatpacking plant furloughed some people because they had a slowdown in orders. So um, there was maybe like a month where he didn't have income coming in through no fault of his own. Um, but then they ran into a situation where like, they fell behind on rent and they weren't able to pay their heating bills and things like that. Um, and we have a private housing fund, so a fund of people, you know, people have donated money um, for emergency housing. So we tapped into that in order to help get them over that um, hump for themselves until he started working again so that they didn't end up being like homeless or having their heat turned off and things like that. That stress over bills, housing, and normal life expenses means the need for a job is immediate. And the urgency means most people can't continue on their careers. You know, sometimes they can get back to it in some ways eventually. Um, but it's really hard, you know, and again, depending if you were a professional overseas, if you were a doctor, if you were an engineer, you know, there's very specific certifications that don't transfer over usually. Um, or there's a lot of cost involved. Um, and really, when people come here, they're basically living in poverty, regardless of whatever their circumstances were overseas. They're really living in American poverty for their first you know, year in the country. Um, and that's really hard. And the need to pay rent, like just the immediate urgency of getting a job so that you have an income, so that you can pay rent, so that your family can stay safe often trumps people's abilities to like take the time or pay the money to get a GED or to get relicensed or recertified or whatever. All of those things takes, take money and take time and take a little degree of, of luxury. Still, as hard as resettlement is, it also provides many unexpected possibilities, like increased opportunities for women. I, I will say PRM, which is the Population, Refugee, and Migration branch of the State Department, um, has really made this an issue in the last year or two, which I appreciate, like gender equity, that it's really important that the women be part of all of those resettlement conversations and all of the kind of orientations and training and educational stuff that we're doing and that we really make a concerted effort to engage the women in the process and not just default to you know, let them stay home with the kids. What HIAS truly provides is a fresh start for those women, for their children, and for their family's future. It's really an amazing thing to be able to give people a fresh start. Um, and again, we don't make it easy. Our policies are not very generous. We're not all that helpful as a nation to newcomers, but you know, kind of that American myth of like, if you work hard, if you work your ass off, you know, you can actually recreate a life here, you know, and what Americans care about mostly is hard work. Um, you know, mostly people don't really care whether, you know, you're Muslim or you're Jewish or you're Christian or whatever, like mostly we just care about what you do. These people have hope in that fresh start and that powers them through. Their resilience through such incredible trauma comes from that purest hope that their lives can and will improve. They've been living in these god-awful circumstances often for years on end, day in and day out. And, you know, 
they can do it because they have hope and that's how they survive. And, you know, I said they have grit, they have resilience, right? They have all those things that we value in this country by definition, like they have made it through so much because of that belief that there is a way in which their lives are going to get better, that it's not always going to be like that, that there is, you know, America is not perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than a lot of, you know, the places where people came from. And so people are sustained by hope, by that feeling like things will change. And in that way, these immigrants are the true representation of the American dream. They work hard, provide opportunity for their children, and slowly rise up. America's history with immigration has always been that that first generation comes in and works really, really, really hard and kind of lousy and unforgiving jobs and then their kids go to school and their kids become Americans and their kids you know have a better chance at a better life um, and in certain ways I, I don't think it's any different with the refugees that are coming in now it's hard to see that first generation come in and not be able to kind of get back any you know dignity and professionalism that they may have had overseas. Um, but I think that's always been the case, doesn't make it okay. But I think the next generations are have a better chance and that's the way things have worked. One of the best parts of Verona's job is seeing that growth years later. So because we can help them get a green card, we often see people a year later after arrival, um, even if we're not still working with them. So it is really cool to see people a year later, you know, and see them like their English improved, their kids are doing well, they've, they're in a stable job, their nutrition is better. You know, it's just cool to see people a year later just like being Philadelphians. That's truly what it boils down to. It doesn't matter where they came from, what they've gone through, or anything else. They're people. They're part of our community. They're Philadelphians. But they're also people who need help because as many know the system is in bad shape i mean there's a lot that needs to happen to improve this at a lot of different levels um it's a pretty piss poor system to be frank you know um not that like you know we don't know what the hell's going on over there we actually know exactly what's going on but it's just really inadequate and inhumane rona's work is incredible but it needs to be more than her. Any help, any support means so much more to their program, whether it's volunteering, teaching, or just a check. Because the needs are so huge, it's easy to say like, oh, I don't know how to help, or there's nothing I can do, or like, it's just too enormous. I'll just go back to watching Netflix. And, you know, the reality is there's lots of ways to help, and different people can help in different ways. You know, some people really like to do lobbying and advocacy and get on the phone and call their representatives and their senators, and that's awesome and we need that. Um, other people wanna write a check and donate money and not be bothered, and that's awesome and we need that. And other people really wanna like help in very concrete ways with direct contact with refugees and immigrants, and that's awesome and we need that. Um, so, you know, I think the thing is just to be honest with yourself about 
how you want to help and where that kind of work feels most sustainable and gratifying for you and do it. Just don't do nothing. So if you leave here remembering anything, remember that. Don't do nothing. Immigrants are what our country was built on, and they're all individual people, not Skittles or terrorists. They're not terrorists, they're not crazy, they're not any, they're just regular people who kind of got stuck at the wrong place on the planet at the wrong time. I mean, they're just incredibly ordinary people.